So, Roland, welcome to the MC podcast. Now, you're the CEO of Alford Technologies, and within the world of munitions, clearance, search, and engineering, your company has a very specific part in that sort of sector. Would you like to talk us through what Alford Technologies is about? So, Alford Technologies is an explosive technology company. So, we design um, and make um, lots of different types of explosive charges for different applications, including conventional munitions disposal. So you can think of us really as the, the, the sort of spear point of all the efforts that go into clearing a, mu a munition. So the different ways that you can deal with them, but one of them is to destroy them. And we use explosive charges. So sometimes you know, people get are surprised by that. We're using explosives against a bomb to break it up and to, to, to make it safe. Before we start going into the detail of how your technologies work, what sort of scenarios would Alford's tools be used in and where would you have sort of reached in the process of dealing with munitions? When we're looking at munitions clearance, um, we're looking specifically at um, so both on land and underwater clearance. So we're, we're looking for um, munitions that are left over from war, so explosive remnants of war. Um, they might be um, from training where you, you had a gunnery range or something like that. Um, so you know, the, the, the historical places where guns were being fired with, with large artillery shells into the sea, for example. So it was just a, a convenient way of, of practicing or, 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 or training. Um, a lot of those devices are, are left behind. Um, you've got other places in the sea where, which were sort of designated as, as free fire zones where aircraft coming back from missions, say, during World War II, um, they couldn't land with the bombs on them. So any bombs that they had left behind, they could just drop in these areas. Exactly the same thing when you go to Laos. So Laos, the whole country, was, was well, large areas of it were designated in the same way. So after bombing raids going into Vietnam or e even in Laos, before they could land, they would just drop bombs. Um, and a certain percentage of them would fail. So, you know, our equipment is being used in, in all of those, the, those sorts of scenarios. Um, very sadly now, with what's going on in, in Ukraine, um, a lot of our equipment is being used against current um, threats. So again, it's, um, it, it's bombs that have been dropped and have failed generally, or missiles. So you, you get, you know, depending on where and, and, and the age of them, typically perhaps 30% of munitions won't function. So you fire them and they're duds. Um, that's left behind and, and will just sit there indefinitely until somebody decides to clear it up. And, and that's where our equipment is being used. So the scenario that you've painted where you've got infrastructure or people's livelihoods are being affected by munitions that have been left behind. What does your method do? How does it benefit to people in these situations? So essentially what we're trying to do is to disrupt a bomb. We shoot something at it. We don't want to move it because it, it might be sensitive, could go off. Um, so there are a few different types of tool uh, that, you can, that you can use to, to achieve what's called a low order. So low order is where we, we shoot into, or we cause the, the explosive inside the, the munition to start to deflagrate, to burn, and and it causes the bomb to burst apart. And, and that, when the bomb bursts apart, is what we call a low order. Um, as I say, we, there are quite a few different systems that can achieve that, but they don't all have the same reliability. So some of them might only have a 70% reliability. Ours tend to be you know, in the high 90s. So it means that when you're making the decision, what should I do against this, or what should I shoot, against this munition, if you really can't afford it to, to detonate, because let's say it's near some critical infrastructure, a hospital or a bridge or in the middle of a village, uh, you can't wipe those things out. Um, you might try or consider 
all the other things that you could do, move it first. But if you've got to the point where you say, I can't do that, I have to deal with it here, you want to pick the tool which is the most has the highest success rate and and that's where our charges, in particular one called the Vulcan, that's where they come in. Now your company's existed for quite some time um, and the, the embryonic idea was formed uh, way back in the, was it the 1980s? Uh, late 80s. How many different uh, conflict zones have your tools been used in? Is the, are they proven and uh, you know what sort of background have they got? Yeah, um, our tools have been used all over the world. Obviously at the moment in Ukraine, um, they've been used extensively in, in Southeast Asia. So um, we're, we're talking about Laos in particular. Um, we've also dealt with uh, World War II bombs in, in Malaysia, Singapore, um, in, in, in those sorts of areas, um, uh, in America, Hawaii. So you know it, wherever you've got this munitions problem, uh, sometimes it's in countries like America. You know you don't you don't necessarily consider that you'd have munitions left over there, but you do. So everywhere in the world, really. Now your tools are important um, in post-conflict zones where sometimes access to the material that needs to go into them. So let's just unpick what that involves using one of your tools. Your tools fire themselves into a bomb and then what happens? Okay, so yeah, I suppose I've never thought of it as firing themselves into there. You, you, you have a, a plastic case um, which we fill with explosive and we put a projectile in the front. Um, and that projectile is, is in the form of a cone. Uh, typically, this sort of charge is called a, a shape charge. Typically, that, that cone will be made out of something like uh, copper. Um, copper isn't particularly good for low ordering. It, it tends to cause high orders. We use a, a different material, magnesium. And the magnesium, uh, I don't know if you remember, but you know, when you're at school, you probably burnt magnesium ribbon. So it burns really brightly and it, 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 it's, it's, a, it's a great material. So if you make a, a shape charge out of that, two things. One is magnesium's very low density. It's a light metal. And the other is it burns, as I've, I've just explained. So we're doing two things when we shoot a shape charge with a, a magnesium cone into a bomb. One is we're hitting it with a, a, a low density material. So it's like um, hitting it with a, a feather instead of a, a, a sledgehammer, you know, a small hammer instead of a big hammer. Essentially, we're hitting it less less violently, so we're less likely to, to shock it into uh, detonation. Then the other thing is, having shot a hole into it, so this magnesium forms a hypersonic jet that actually forces its way through the steel and into the bomb, it's burning while it's doing that. So what does it do? It sets light to the explosive on the inside. That then starts to burn, pressure builds up as, as you get gases. They're trying to escape through the hole, they can't really. The pressure builds up, builds up, builds up, and eventually the bomb just bursts open and it's just like a balloon. If you over pump a balloon, it will eventually pop. And that's what we're doing to a bomb. Now the benefits of uh, tools like yours when you're dealing with what people expect of remnants for, you know, like you have this vision of bombs sitting in the mud or people trying to build something in their village or in their city and discovering this thing sort of buried. Um, but the, the world of warfare has changed and there is other ways that munitions are found now. How is your company, how does your organization, IMSI, deal with the progression of weapons moving from plain remnants of war to the IED threat? So we're talking really about the whole sort of EOD space. Um, and so IMSI is, is, is mostly dealing with, with people who are not in the military, most of them are ex-military, but but it, it's it's sort of civilian civilian organisations. So as you say, 
people will be will, will come across um, munitions. They'll, they'll they'll come across a bomb as they're building. Uh, so in the UK, that would then be dealt with by the military. But when you're doing something where you you know that you're likely to find them, so if we're talk, talking about wind farms, for example, um, if you think about offshore wind farms, where are they built? Well, you don't normally, I mean, they're starting to, but normally you don't want to build them where the water's really deep. You want to find a, a shallow area because you've got to build piling and, and build off the, the, the seabed. Um, those sorts of continental shelves or shelves of, 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 uh, in the sea tend to be quite close to, to shore, and that's exactly where your old gunnery range would have been because, you know, you, you were firing from land out to sea and, you know, to 10, 20 kilometres maximum. Well, that's where it's shallow and then it drops off. So, ironically, right where they're, they're going to be building that or laying pipelines, um, laying cables, the, the sea is, the, in, in these shallower areas, the sea is littered with historical munitions going right back to the 1800s, late 1800s or, or you know, First World War, those sorts of periods, right up to sort of more, more, more probably you know, just post-Second World War. So that's a scenario where people are really starting to find them and it's companies that are doing it. They do a big survey and so, you know, search and, and with MC, you know, we, we, we look at search as well. Search can be on land, can be underwater, um, can be using all sorts of things, so dogs or whatever, to find them. Once you found them, then the processes that, that come in into play, um, that's where we come in. And we, we've got a various range of charges and also ways of applying them um, to, to achieve the same goal. So how do you get your tools into conflict zones? Isn't it really difficult um, and restrictive um, and explosive devices? I mean, they're not the sort of places that you want to get more explosive devices in. So I've already talked about the, the sort of more historical stuff, but, but if we start looking at more current scenarios, uh, we're looking at places like um, Iraq and obviously uh, Ukraine. So Iraq has, has got a, 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 is an interesting case because you've got a combination of um, conventional munitions, that's munitions built in a bomb factory, You've also got munitions that were built in a homemade, you know, sort of a, a garden shed bomb factory where they were trying to replicate those. And then you, you've got IEDs um, and they were all being used and, 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 and sort of cities were just sort of filled with these. After the conflict, there's a debate, you know, is, is it still an IED, an improvised explosive device? Yes, it is. Is it targeting, is it a current threat if it's an old one? Yes or no. So is it, how different is it from a mine? So if you've got a landmine, you know, potentially it's just another type of landmine. So there's been this debate about you know, who should be dealing with it and, and how do you deal with it. So assuming we, we've got over that and we're saying, right, so you've now got a, a, an organization, a company that's going in and they have to be able to clear everything. And it is post-conflict. Um, you then start looking at the, the, the politics of it and say, well, you, you've just hired this company from you know, whichever country. You've got these experts coming in and you're going to give them explosives in the country that's that's had this recent history and possibly a, a current history of, of, of bad people using explosives, that you're going to be a target, they're going to want to steal it, or, you know, there, there are a lot of sensitivities. Um, so one of the ways around it is to, to use a non-conventional explosive. So here I'm, I'm thinking of things like binary explosives. So these are, are liquids that are, are basically fuels. If you mix in ingredient B into it, it then turns it into an explosive. 
So ingredient B is a ingredient we won't talk about. Exactly. Yes. So these are things which these are liquids. separately that they 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 are what they possibly have some sort of they they might be poisonous. They might be highly flammable, but they're not explosive. There's no way you, on earth you can get them to detonate until you mix them. When you mix them, they become an explosive. So the, the the beauty of that is you can then transport those perfectly legally, perfectly safely into the country. Um, you don't need to to sort of apply for permits for those as explosives, but when you need it to be explosive, as in five minutes before you fire it, you mix the two together, put it in the charge, and then you can use it. So that's a way around it that, that we've found and we, we've, we've developed. And so we, we took our existing technology, our Vulcan technology with a magnesium cone. We had to adapt it because the explosive has different sort of um, uh, 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 patterns of behavior. So we had to use it differently, um, make the charges a bit bigger for the same effect. But essentially, we've been able to design a, 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 a system. So that, that's one way that we've done it. Another is that um, uh, we designed a, a system called the Draken, which is basically it's a, a, it's a gun barrel. It's a simple, very basic gun, um, which shoots water. So you fill the barrel with water. So it's quite massive. It's more, much heavier than a normal gun. Um, we've got a, 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 a pro propellant charge in there. Now, is the basis for that charge speed or is it increased power um so it the these are shooting water pretty fast subsonic but it, it's fast and you can shoot it at, at something and just because you've got you know if you take a hose a high power hose you can you can cause damage well ima imagine projecting that out of a gun it's going really fast and and it just breaks things apart but the the problem and and we weren't the first people to come up with this kind of disruptor by any means they've been around for, for many years the, the the difference is that all the other ones have specialist ammunition. And that ammunition is often expensive and difficult to get into a country. So just as it explodes, importing ammunition requires all sorts of permits. So I thought, well, how can we work our way around that? Well, let's see if we can, we can make something that's self-loaded. So it's been designed around a 12-gauge shotgun cartridge. It doesn't have the pellets in it, but basically you can, you can fill it with propellant, use quite a, a hot charge, you use a lot more than you'd use in a in a shotgun, but it's a blank cartridge, which is electrically fired. So we've just got a squib in there and you can use a battery or a firing system to, to, to set it off. Um, and what, what I realized is that you, if we import all these components, you can always get the propellant locally. And we're going into a country in a sort of war zone or former war zone, you can get bullets, that's easy. So you can de-bullet AK-47 rounds, so you can take... King the bullet apart, take the, take the powder out, and exactly. then put it into your um, shotgun charge and fire it. You said that um, the device that you're firing, the Draken, um, is a disruptor. Is that the same as a device that you use for a large bomb? When we're trying to destroy bombs, we call it disruption, generically. And what we're trying to do is break, break a, 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 a bomb apart and separate all the components. And it doesn't matter whether it's a big aircraft bomb, a 2,000-pound bomb, or something that somebody made, you know, a, a package bomb or something, that, that, or a car bomb or something. It's all called disruption. And the basic principle of separating the components and doing it really fast so that any booby traps, any triggers or whatever, uh, can't act fast enough. So you've actually separated all the bits before it can activate. That's the same. Dep but what you're, the, the, the mechanism that you use to achieve that depends on the way that the, the bomb is, is made. So if it's a, a parcel, obviously you don't use the same charge that you would use against a 2,000-pound bomb. So Roland, your company works at the very tip 
of the spear. And in an organization like IMSI, where you have individuals who go out, find, map, survey, and document munitions, ultimately a company like yours will be coming in to deal with it. Why is it important that you have an organization that marries all these different disparate groups together? So, well, firstly, I'll say my company doesn't actually go out and do this work. That, that, that's other companies. We, we, we design and make the tools. But um, it's all on, on, in the names, the Institute of Munitions Clearance and Search Engineers. So when you think about that, and you th there's a whole industry, a, a large industry that, that's been built up uh, over many years, um, dealing with, with post-conflict and, and, and this kind of clearance um, and commercial uh, clearance. Um, so the, as, as with any kind of industry like that, you, you're always going to have a need for a, an umbrella organization where people can, can share information, can, can, can be cohesive. Because as you pointed out, you know, there, there's a big difference between um, somebody who is really good at going out with a dog and searching for things, or even with a rat, searching for a, a bomb, Bomb, bomb rat, a bomb, bomb searching. Rat. Yes, wow. People have been using bombs, bees, all sorts of things that can detect explosives. So you've got specialists who do that. You've got us on the other end designing and, and making equipment that you'll shoot at a bomb. Um, we need to be talking to each other. You, you, you need to be collaborating because I need to know the conditions under which they'll be finding these things. Are they going to be excavating it? So what's, what's my target going to look like are they, you know, where is it going to be? What's the climate going to be? What explosives will they have? I need to understand all of that. They need to understand what somebody is going to then use, and it could be them, to actually shoot against it. And what are their options? So, you know, it, it's, a, it's an industry with lots of different bits, but all of them need to be talking and collaborating. And that's really where MC comes in. Now, MC isn't an organization that in any way is going to stop conflict. In actual fact, you're really a group of individuals that work together after conflict or where conflict's coming close to an end. Ultimately, what is it that individuals within your organization, within the industry of uh, demining and UXO clearance, what, what do you think drives people? Is there a, a goal that they'll ever reach? Well, the ultimate goal is the end of, of the need for it. It's, it's one of these industries that, you know, if, if all conflicts stopped today and all remnants of war had been cleared, then there'd be no need for it. Um, that would be the, the ultimate goal. Is it realistic? Unfortunately, probably not. Um, so it's a matter of trying to, to help countries, and we are talking on some, you know, geopolitically, we are talking about country-scale problems, helping them recover from that conflict that they've, they've just gone through and be able to continue going back to, or get back to normal life without having to worry about this constant threat. So um, if, if you take um, Laos, for example, most heavily bombed country per capita on Earth ever. Um, the hostilities finished 50 years ago. The last bombs were dropped 50 years ago. They are still having people killed every year by these munitions left over. And if nothing were to happen, they'd still be killed in, in, you know, in, in 500 years. A huge amount of work has been done already and just has to continue. To, to make the country safe, because I, I heard one person recently describing it as a, a, a sort of an extra tax, almost, on the country, because everything they want to do, if they want to farm this piece of land, if they want to build something, they have to budget and spend money on making sure that there are no munitions there or potentially clearing them. So that is a tax, and it, and, and it holds back the economy. So I know that the, the Laotian government, for example, have announced 
that their target is by 2030, so only in a few years' time, they want to be sort of free from the effects of these remnants of war. That doesn't mean that they're going to clear all the bombs, but it means that where they're trying to, to operate as an economy, they won't have to, to, to pay this, this continued tax 50, 60 years after the end of the war. It must be quite difficult. I mean, do you consider yourself an optimist? Is there ever the opportunity where countries can say that they've got rid of all of their remnants of war? There have been a few examples where countries have declared themselves free of landmines, and that, that's, a, that's a huge thing. It, 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 you, you can't underestimate how big that is. The, the trouble is that even in those countries, often other bombs were dropped, and, and those may not have been cleared yet. Um, so you, you, you do have different types of, of, of target and different types of explosive threat. Um, you have to be optimistic in that every time a bomb is dealt with, every time a landmine is lifted and, and made safe, the country is becoming safer and better. You, you, you have to look at it, you know, so one bomb at a time, really, um, knowing that, you know, there is there has been a tangible benefit to it, even if it's not the long-term goal. Ultimately, an organisation like yours can only exist because of the work that you undertake um, and the innovations that um, people have had to make in order to deal with uh, munitions. Is there a future um, in um, the it, that you see where munitions become less of a problem and how might that be? Unfortunately, I can't really. I mean, we're, we're looking at it and, and as we speak, there's a war going on in Ukraine and Ukraine is, is fast becoming the most heavily polluted um, country in terms of explosive remnants of war um, and we don't know when the war is going to end bombs missiles um, projectiles are being fired all the time and a, a large percentage of them are not working so they're sitting there they hit they hit the ground and they're just sitting there either they're obvious and you can you can deal with them immediately or some of them many of them will be found in 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 many years to come um, so we're just starting, and, and the EOD began the day that the war started. The EOD teams were already there. They'd already been trained. Um, organizations, we, we had, had been helping. You know, to, We'd done some training. We, we set up a charity to send, send stuff over there, and there was this, this huge collective um, uh, effort from, from, from different countries. The UK, you know, I like to think, we're, we're, we're one of the, the, the first to do this, um, where we were supporting these people on the ground, making sure that they had equipment, had advice, um, and skills, and you know, now, now you know, more than a year in, their, their their skill levels are through the roof, and and they've been sending teams overseas to get trained, and then they go back in there, and and they're operating. So it's it this is highly dynamic, and I think unique in the in the way that the EOD has has not had to wait until the end of the um, the, the hostilities. Um, well, I suppose that's that's not fair. It's always been like that, but the way that it's been done, and and and, and the capabilities have ramped up so fast is, I think, unprecedented. So, uh, unfortunately, uh, you're not going to be out of a job anytime soon. I know you would probably like that um, in some respects. What is it that makes you optimistic about the future of munitions search and clearance? So, EOD is always a cat-and-mouse um, game. It, it always has been. So, um, the, the munitions get smarter as, as methods of, of disposal um, uh, uh, get better. And so, people... You know, the, the, the designers of these munitions are, are always trying to outfox them. Um, as we move forward, we see new types of munitions, especially we're, we're seeing a lot of this sort, sort of stuff in, in Ukraine at the moment, where new things that 
people have possibly heard of some some things have not been heard of are suddenly appearing on on the uh, on the battlefront um so people being able to to use tools that they've already got methods that they've already got or then they have to adapt or in the worst case scenario we have to then come up with something new so they'll say look we've got this real problem and and what can we do so there's always this going on um our core technology doesn't necessarily need to change that much but on the other side um finding it mapping it locating it this is where technology can really help has always helped in the past with the invention of different sensors you know, ground penetrating radar next generation will be ai's helping to analyze and sift through data much quicker so that you can you can use potentially use existing technology for searching but then you take the the data away and you use an ai to actually identify things much more reliably so that you're not wasting too much time digging up you know, so old Coke cans and things like that, you're actually going honed straight in. And, and importantly, you're not missing things. And that's really where the technology, I think, is, is going to improve and, and where the future is and, and, and will help speed things up. And it, it's all about speed. Soon you can get rid of these things. The sooner the land is safe, the sooner children can go and play and parents don't need to worry about that. Roland, thank you very much for that wonderful insight into your organisation and the way that you work. If listeners were to find out more about you and your company's technology, where would they be looking? Well, um, we, we've got a very active um, social media um, uh, sort of campaign or series of campaigns. So LinkedIn is probably the, 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 the top one. We also have a website, so explosives.net. So quite, um, quite unique and um, easy to find. Well, I will leave connections to those in the show notes. Thank you very much for coming on the show, Roland. Thank you.